welcome to Febrile, a cultured podcast about all things infectious disease. We use console questions to dive into ID clinical reasoning, diagnostics, and antimicrobial management. I'm your host, Sarah Dung, a combined adult and pediatric ID fellow. Here on Febrile, we use patient cases and console questions to learn about high-yield ID topics. We'll present pieces of the story of a patient's case and then pause along the way to hear from our guest consultant. Welcome to the final episode of our Curious Congenital Conundrum series. I'm excited to introduce our guest today. Our host is Dr. Sarah Mae Johnson. She is a pediatric registrar of infectious diseases, immunology, and bone marrow transplant at Great Ormond Street Hospital in London. She is also interested in global health and has completed a diploma from the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine, and she has also been awarded a Wellcome Trust Global Health Research Fellowship to explore adolescent tuberculosis. Our guest discussing today is Dr. Fani Latamano. She is a consultant in pediatric ID at the Venezuelan General Hospital in Crete, Greece. She was previously a fellow in pediatric ID and immunology in the UK and has worked as a consultant in pediatric immunology and ID also at Great Ormond Street Hospital. Since then, she's been caring for children in Greece and has been responsible for the pediatric ID and immunology service since 2012, and she's focused her previous research efforts on various pediatric ID topics. In addition, she has previously served as the Young Board Representative for ESPID, or the European Society for Pediatric Infectious Diseases, between 2018 and 2021. Thank you for joining us today. Thanks. Thank you. I'm glad I'm here too. So before we jump into the case today, which is super interesting, we always like to ask one non-medical question. We wanted to see if you'd be willing to share a little piece of culture or something that you have enjoyed recently. I've actually, I'm a big knitter. So I spent most of my life knitting. And for the second time ever, I'm actually knitting a pair of socks because I normally like to do more complex knitwear. Um, but my wow. boyfriend's been wearing my grandpa's <laughs> socks around the house and they are eaten to pieces. So now I'm knitting him some socks. And they're literally like a 1940s, <laughs> like a World War II style socks that go up to the knees, <laughs> kind of like Wellington boots. Uh, well, I've only been able to knit a scarf but never quite moved into anything tubular yet so that'll be my next step um what about you funny i will talk about um it's an old book it's a not new it's not a new one but it's about the place where i'm working and living at the moment it's about crete the southest part of greece and of europe an island uh so the book is uh, is named Island from Victoria Hisslock. I don't know if you have read it or not. And it deals with a small place, very small, um, even smaller from Crete Island, um, next to Crete, where people with Hansen disease were kept a century ago. So if you haven't read the book, you should do it. Uh, it's uh, very interesting. Great. Excellent. Well, thank you both for sharing. So moving us forward, today's consult question is about a mom and baby pair who have both become acutely ill. So I hand it over to Sarah. Take it away. On with the next consult. After a busy day on the ward, you're called by your obstetric colleagues from the hospital across town about a curious conundrum that they have been dealing with in conjunction with neonatal colleagues at their hospital. The case involves a mother and neonatal pair whom have both fallen acutely ill. The baby boy is born approximately 24 hours back to a 32-year-old Gravida 1 Para 0 mum who has become acutely unwell with peripartum, fever and gastrointestinal symptoms. She has a prominent abdominal pain and blood-stricken loose stools. 
The antepartum course was otherwise uneventful. The baby was born at 39 plus 1 weeks without any initial concerns, although has since fallen ill with fever and suspicion for sepsis and has been transferred to NICU for ongoing care. The mother has also been transferred to ICU due to suspicion of sepsis. The mother was previously healthy with no significant past medical history. She was born in the Philippines but has been living in the UK for four years. Booking bloods are verbally reported to you over the phone as negative for hepatitis B, HIV and syphilis. The baby is started on Benpen and Amikacin and Acyclovir after blood cultures, full blood count um, and biochemistry is drawn as per standard neonatal sepsis guidelines in the hospital. The mother is also started on broad-spectrum antibiotics, keftriaxone, gentamicin and metronidazole after blood cultures are drawn. With the differential diagnosis remaining broad, what additional information would you like to gather on the phone? Would you have done anything different in the management of this child so far? There are some questions that I would like to ask on the phone. Uh, I was wondering whether the baby was born by caesarean section or by normal vaginal delivery. And in case he was born by caesarean section, was there a rupture of membranes before the section? Was his mother screened for good strep during pregnancy? Uh, did she also receive any intrapartum antibiotics in view of the fact that uh, she went for Braling labor? She, she went acutely unwell. Uh, did the baby have any lumbar puncture or was he very unstable to have that? Uh, I was also wondering whether the baby had any skin lesions suggestive of HSV infection or whether the mother had any history of oral labial HSV or any genital herpes. Did this baby have any stigma of other congenital infections on clinical examinations, such as pedechiae, blueberry muffin, hepatosplomomegaly, microcephaly, or any bullies or other rashes? Uh, moreover, uh, I would also like to know the results of the full blood count and the biochemistry. Did the full blood count show any disorders in cell counts, uh, any cytopenias, or were there any abnormal liver function tests? And regarding the ma maternal history, I would also like to have some more information. Was this mother monogamous or was she having a high-risk sexual behavior? Uh, for example, during pregnancy, was she consuming sushi or rare raw meat? Was she consuming a pasteurized milk or cheese? And did he have any known sick contacts recently? For example, somebody with tuberculosis or did he have any recent exposure to animals? Uh, these are all the things that I would like to know before going ahead. At the moment, I wouldn't have done anything differently. As we all know, sepsis is an important cause of morbidity and mortality among um, newborn infants. Here, although we still, still don't have the results of the blood cultures back, we believe that we are dealing with an episode of early onset sepsis. And I'm saying early onset because the onset of symptoms occurred before seven days of age. This early onset uh, infection is usually due to vertical transmission by ascending contaminated amniotic fluid or during vaginal delivery from bacteria in the mother's lower genital tract. I mentioned in the questions group B strep. Group B strep and E. coli are the most common bacteria, the most common causes of, er of both early and late onset sepsis. Therefore, a hybrid antibiotic regime would include agents active against these two pathogens. Some other less common pathogens include the Derobacter, Derococcus, Klebsiella, Listeria, Haemophilus influenza, other enteric gram negative bacilli, Staph aureus, Viridans streptococci. So uh, the combination of ambicillin and gentamicin provide a big coverage for these organs until the cultural results are available. In our practice, uh, where I'm working in Greece at the moment, we're using ambicillin and gentamicin for early onset sepsis. 
Uh, if we consider um, central nervous system infection involvement, we add kefotaxin, a third generation kefalosporin. In case we believe that we are dealing with a nosocomial infection, which is not the case here, we use meropenem as a bivalent treatment. That's for early onset sepsis. For late onset sepsis, uh, with onset after seven days of life, we use ampicillin and gentamicin, uh, or ampicillin and an extending spectrum kefalosporin like kefotaxin or keftazidin. Regarding now the group strep screening that I asked earlier during pregnancy, there are different guidelines in different countries. Um, regarding the United Kingdom where this baby was born, the Royal College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists doesn't recommend routine screening or testing for GPS colonization in pregnant women uh, because the clinical and cost effectiveness of this strategy remains unclear. Uh, therefore, I wouldn't expect that this mother was screened during pregnancy. In Greece, where I'm working, although it's recommended by the national guidelines, in practice, it is rarely performed by the gynecologists. The national guidelines in Greece suggest that all pregnant women should be screened for group disturbed by vaginal and rectal swab between 36 and 38 weeks of pregnancy. And those found to be colonized should receive intrapartum antibiotics in case of a normal vaginal delivery or a cesarean section with rupture of membranes. In the mother in our case, Probably she wasn't screened, but she went febrile into labor. So I would expect that she was covered with intrapartum antibiotics and the recommended intrapartum regime is ampicillin or penicillin. This patient has several key features that are consistent with Listeria infection. In the immunocompetent host, injection of food contaminated with Listeria, that's why I asked about unpasteurized milk or cheese or raw meat, typically results in, in asymptomatic infection or mild febrile gastroenteritis. However, this mother is at increased risk uh, for invasive listeria infection because she's pregnant. Moreover, uh, we know that the risk of symptomatic listeria infection increases over the course of pregnancy, which makes such an infection quite likely in the end of pregnancy, as in this case. Listeria infection in general is usually mild in pregnancy. More or less, approximately two-thirds of pregnant women with a stereo infection have symptoms. The most common of these symptoms are fever, influenza-like illness, uh, some abdominal pain, headache, and vomiting or diarrhea, as in our case. Uh, apart though from the bacterial pathogens, we should also consider common non-bacterial agents associated with neonatal sepsis. These pathogens include herpes virus, HSV, enterovirus, paracovirus, or candida. I understand that this baby was empirically started on a cyclovir for possible HSV infection. However, uh, my thoughts are that HSV infection rarely leads to diarrhea and would be unlikely to, call, to occur in the absence of, of a rash. In, 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 and generally, in the absence of skin lesions, the diagnosis of neonatal HSV is quite challenging. In my practice in Greece, we don't routinely cover early neonatal sepsis with a cyclovir, unless there is evidence suggestive of HSV infection, either from the clinical examination or from the history. For example, when we're dealing with a neonate with sepsis-like syndrome and vesicular lesions, or born a sepsis-like syndrome born to a mother with active genital HSV lesions or any history of HSV infection. So these are my thoughts for now, Sarah. Thank you so much. That was an interesting overview and also nice to touch base on different practices that we see in different countries. The next day, you are called by your neonatal colleagues from the same hospital uh, you spoke to yesterday with an update on the baby's status. Unfortunately, things have deteriorated. 
Baby's been sat on dopamine for hypotension is now intubated and ventilated. A 15-minute generalised tonic-clonic seizure occurred overnight requiring phenobarbital administration. Mum's condition is stable, but she remains in the ICU with ongoing gastrointestinal symptoms and imaging findings consistent with frank colitis. The baby's blood work demonstrates a profound liver and kidney injury with an ALT of 2,156 units per litre and deranged coagulation, an INR of 2.9, requiring administration of FFP and vitamin K. Creatinine is raised, measuring 313 micromillimoles per litre. The full blood count demonstrates an HB of 117 grams per litre and a platelet count of 14, requiring a platelet transfusion overnight. Full blood count measures, uh, white blood cell count measures 2.1 with an ANC of 1.3 and an ALC of 0.7. The CRP measures 15 milligrams per liter. The overnight junior doctor noted two small vesicular lesions on the left lower leg, which were swabbed for CNS and HSV PCR. A blood HSV PCR was also obtained, and LP was deemed unsafe due to the coagulopathy. In discussion with pharmacy, all medications were adjusted for renal clearance. This morning, the neonatal team were made aware that mum's HSV blood PCR and PCR of the store have both returned positive. She's also been started on acyclovir. With this in mind, further exposure history was gathered. The mother has no history of orolabial HSV or genital herpes. The father does get recurrent orolabial herpes and in fact has a noticeable ulcerating lesion on his upper lip when further history is obtained. There is no history of genital herpes. There is a history of orovaginal contact approximately four days prior to delivery, two days after which the father developed the painful ulcerating lesion on his lip. Can you discuss the approach to management of neonatal HSV? And would you make any changes to the management at this point? Mm, interesting. It's obvious now that we are dealing with a disseminated neonatal HSV infection despite the fact that the initial history of maternal colitis was not suggestive of such an infection. Herpes simplex should be considered, as mentioned before, as a causative agent in neonates with fever, especially within the first three days of life, a vesicular rash or abnormal CSF findings, we didn't have an LP of course in this case, especially in the presence of seizures. Neonatal herpetic infections often are severe, with high mortality and morbidity, even when antiviral therapy is administered. The risk of transmission of HSV to the neonate remains significantly higher with primary maternal infections acquired closer to the time of delivery, as it obviously happened in our case, compared with recurrent infections. The percentage, uh, for example, is 50 to 60% with primary infections versus less than 3% for recurrent infections. Of course, distinguishing between primary and recurrent HSV infections in women by history in the clinical examination may be impossible. Uh, maternal type specific serology may be useful. Uh, more than 75% of infants with HSV infection have been born to women with no history of cl or clinical findings suggestive of active HSV infection during pregnancy. Regarding now treatment, Intravenous acyclovir should be administered at the time of the, or the diagnosis of neonatal HSV is suspected. Uh, it has been uh, described that prompt administration improves outcome. Of course, there is no place for oral acyclovir in neonatal uh, treatment of acute HSV. 
For those who are cyclic for all forms of neonatal HSV, 60 mg per kilogram per day intravenously divided every eight hours. The dose of acyclovir must be adjusted for neonates with renal impairment, as in the case of this baby. The indications for acyclovir therapy include virologically proven HSV disease, clinically suspected HSV disease, pending viral studies, asymptomatic but at risk due to exposure, uh, for example, with maternal active genital lesions. The indications for imitation of empiric acyclovir are not standardized. Uh, most experts agree that empiric acyclovir is indicated for neonates with clinical features suggestive of HSV infection. And these features include mucocutaneous vehicles, vesicles, seizures, lethargy, respiratory distress, thrombocytopenia, coagulopathy, blood losing from uh, intravascular catheter size, hypothermia, sepsis-like illness, hepatomegaly, ascites, or even markedly elevated transaminase. Many experts recommend empiric treatment for ill-appearing neonates with fever or aseptic meningitis until results of HSV workup are known. This is probably what they follow in the UK where the baby was born. That's why they started a cyclovir from the very beginning. However, uh, expert opinions differ regarding the relative benefits, risk, and cost-effectiveness of empiric cyclovir before biological confirmation in other clinical situations, such as when we have CSF pleocytosis with uh, a predominance of mononuclear cells in an otherwise well-appearing infant, when we have persistent or recurrent erythema or crusting at the site of a scalp electrode, or when we have fever without localizing signs in an infant less than 21 days of age. Now, neonatal HSV is classified into three main categories for therapeutic and prognostic consider considerations mainly. Localized skin, eye, and mouth disease, CNS with or without localized disease, and disseminated disease. Uh, approximately one out of four cases of neonatal HSV manifest as disseminated disease, 30% as CNS disease, and 45% manifest as skin, mouth, and eye localized disease. Of course, there is some overlap in these categories. For instance, approximately two-thirds of the neonates with disseminated or CNS disease have skin lesions, but these lesions may not be present at the time of onset of symptoms, as in the baby in our case. The duration now of acyclovir therapy for neonatal HSV infection depends uh, upon the pattern of illness and response to therapy. We treat localized disease with a minimum of 14 days if disseminated and CNS disease have been excluded. And disseminated and CNS disease should be treated for, treated for a minimum of, of 21 days. Because the persistence of uh, HSV DNA in the CSF is associated, of course, with poor outcome, lumbar puncture should be repeated near the end of the therapy to ensure that CSF HSV PCR is negative. For those infants with persistently positive CSF HSV PCR, despite 21 days of acyclovir therapy, antiviral treatment should be continued and CSF HSV PCR testing should be repeated weekly until negative. Thus, the baby in our case that was diagnosed with disseminated disease should receive at least 21 days of IV acyclovir at the proper dose, as mentioned before. And in this case, we don't know if there is CNS involvement, as we didn't have an LP, but uh, probably there is. Even though this baby was stable enough when we suspected HSV, we should have received a comprehensive laboratory evaluation for HSV before invasion of isacrobyl therapy. And this workup should include testing to detect HSV, including 
surface HSV cultures or HSV PCR from the conjunctivae, mouth, nasopharynx, and rectum. Should also consist of uh, HSV culture, HSV PCR of swabs, scrappings of skin and mucous membrane lesions, if present. In our case, we had CSF HSV PCR. Uh, of course, the baby was not safe enough to have one, uh, and, uh, to have an OP. Whole blood and plasma HSV PCR. And by viral culture or HSV PCR of other specimens that could be available, for example, Dracula aspirates. Uh, there should also uh, be testing to determine the degree of organ involvement and studies to exclude other diseases that may cause similar symptoms. Uh, so we need full blood count, including differential and platelet count. We need liver transaminases, total and direct bilirubin, ammonia. Uh, just to, to point out here that ammonia should be performed to exclude liver disease and metabolic disease in all neonates with elevated liver enzymes and luminate sepsis. Um, but it's not necessary for all neonates with suspected HSV. We also need blood urea, creatinine, and urinalysis, CSF cell count and differential, CSF glucose and protein, eye examination, neuroimaging, EEG neonates suspected to have CNS disease, a chest radiograph uh, for neonates with respiratory distress, and blood and CSF cultures, of course, to evaluate for bacterial sepsis. So, Sarah, this is what I'm thinking at the moment for this baby. Mm, I totally hear all of that. And it's so interesting to think that, of course, the diagnosis is in the history. Although we so infrequently ask about HSV and pregnancy histories and of the parents that we see until they're symptomatic. In follow-up with the local team two days afterwards, things again seem to be going in the wrong direction. The coagulopathy and thrombocytopenia are persistent, requiring additional blood products. The liver function has worsened with an INR 3.7 and the ALT continues to rise and is now 3,098 units per litre. The creatinine remains elevated at 329 micromillimoles per litre, which is 3.72 milligrams per decilitre. The baby's respiratory status has also deteriorated, requiring escalation to jet ventilation, and as such, the decision has been made to transfer the baby to a higher level of NICU at your hospital. In-house blood HSV-PCR is positive at a high copies per mil value. Six days into the baby's stay in your hospital, and while still on acyclovir, HSV-PCR remains positive without any decline in the quantitative value. As a result, Foscan is added to the acyclovir treatment at renal adjusted doses. Can you comment on dual therapy for persistent viremia and any thoughts on the management? Well, it seems that uh, here we have an unusual scenario with a patient not responding to treatment despite being on IV acyclovir for six days. And it seems that his HSV PCR remains positive with no decline in the quantitative uh, value. My thoughts around this failure is, first of all, we may have uh, a potential underlying immunodeficiency, or possibly there is uh, HSV resistance to acyclovir. Regarding the immunodeficiency, there is a number of important errors of immunity associated with susceptibility to HSV, such as severe combined immunodeficiency, GATA2 deficiency, doc deficiency, interleukin-12 uh, receptor deficiency, or interferon gamma receptor deficiency, and so on. However, even uh, in the case we have here in the immunodeficiency with a baby being so acutely unwell, um, we possibly couldn't go for immunological tests because it would, they would be unreliable at this stage. Regarding now my thought um, on HSV resistance by cyclovir, 
Uh, neonatal HSV infections are assumed to result usually from susceptible virus because they most often follow unappreciated primary maternal infection, as in our case, or unappreciated reactivation in mothers with prior infection. In either instance, the likelihood of uh, transmitting a cyclically resistant uh, HSV is very low. In the first situation, uh, unrecognized maternal infection would not be treated, and maternal HSV wouldn't be exposed to the selective pressure of a site liver. Uh, whereas during the reactivation, the frequency of resistant HSV is very, very low. Obviously, the mother in our case had no prior hysterogenital HSV or cyclical treatment. Despite that, uh, I would suggest HSV isolates should be studied for antiviral susceptibility by enzyme MNOSA measuring antigen reduction. Till then, I would continue dual therapy with a cyclical and phoscarnet. All very good points. Ten days into admission at the transferring hospital and with further deterioration in ICU, difficult decision was made by the parents and the medical team to take a comfort care approach and the baby passed away in the parents' arms. After 12 days of antiviral therapy, the blood PCR quantitative viral load remained unchanged. Retrospective resistance testing did not reveal any acyclovir-resistant mutations. Are there any additional pearls about the case or clinical pearls regarding HSV in the neonatal period? Uneventful, unfortunately. Neonatal HSV is a serious infection, as I mentioned earlier, with high morbidity and mortality, even in cases with prompt treatment with ibacyclovir, as in this baby. Uh, it has been noticed that the one-year mortality rate for disseminated disease is uh, 29% which means one out of three babies will die, even if they get the, the proper treatment. The risk of mortality is increased in infants with lethargy, severe hepatitis, acute liver failure, normal near coma at the time of presentation, disseminated vascular bronchiopathy, prematurity, and pneumonitis. It is important to remember that HSV infection is lifelong, even with the appropriate therapy. Even in those neonates that survive, recurrence of microcutaneous um, lesions, eye disease, uh, or even CNS disease may occur. Following parenteral treatment for all forms of neonatal HSV, uh, in the form and the doses that we mentioned earlier, we suggest suppressive therapy with oral acyclovir, 300 mg per meter square per dose three times per day for six months. Of course, the dose should be adjusted each month to account for growth. Uh, this recommendation I mentioned is based on a randomized clinical trial in which suppressive therapy reduced cutaneous recurrences and was associated with improved neurological outcomes in infants with CMS disease. Uh, moreover, if uh, HSVI disease is present, uh, many experts suggest oral suppression for up to one year, not just six months. In case now of recurrences, uh, even when we are on suppression therapy, the optimal management of cutaneous recurrence is not established. However, uh, treatment doses of oral acyclovir, 10 to 20 mg per kilogram per dose two times per day for young infants, or 10 to 15 mg per kilogram per dose four to five times per day for older infants and children, may be administered early at the time of each cutaneous recurrence to reduce the discomfort and shedding associated with these lesions or preemptively for a brief period for one or two weeks when a cutaneous recurrence is anticipated, uh, which is uh, quite usual at times of high stress or exposure to sunlight. In patients now with frequent cutaneous recurrences that are painful or cause disturbance in daily life, long-term oral suppression may be of benefit. 
these are my thoughts so for this uh, case. Very interesting case. Unfortunately, with not a very good course. Yeah. I think one thing that is interesting, we didn't really talk about it as much because our goal was to focus on baby, but it sounds like mom was quite ill. And I think it's a good reminder that mothers can have really fulminant hepatitis from HSV and pregnancy and have pretty high morbidity mortality. So I think it was, this is really nice because we talked through baby, but also just taking a big picture step back. I think thinking about the mom who didn't necessarily have lesions, but clearly was unwell yeah. um, is also a good, good thing to remember. Obviously her colitis was a bit misleading. That's why yeah. it was more constant with hysteria or something mm-hmm. similar and not HSV. Well, that does it for today. Thank you so much to Sarah and Fanny for joining us today. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you. Sarah. Thank you. Thank you. If you haven't already, please make sure to check out the other episodes from the rest of our Curious Congenital Conundrum series. I'll just mention our quick usual disclaimer that all presented patients on this podcast are inspired by patient experiences, but cases are constructed or significantly altered and de-identified for learning purposes. If you haven't checked it out or are new to Febrile, please visit our website, febrilepodcast.com for more information and to find the consult notes, which are written compliments to the show with links to references, as well as a library of ID infographics. Thanks for listening. Stay safe and I'll see you next time.